You're listening to a sermon podcast from Sovereign Grace Church in Bradford, Ontario. For more info, visit sovgracechurch.ca. Today we look for a third time at what the book of 1 John has to teach us about Christmas. Well, yesterday afternoon, my in-laws drove all the way from Hamilton to visit uh, my family and me. Uh, We live in Richmond Hill, which has been in lockdown since last week, and so we weren't able to invite them into our house. They had driven all that way to see us, to visit with the grandkids, uh, to drop off presents, and all we could do was have a brief visit with them outside on our front lawn. Now, if you remember the weather yesterday, it wasn't a particularly cold day, but it was windy, and the wind made it difficult for us to uh, visit for an extended period of time. But we really wanted them to see the kids, especially uh, our littlest one, Owen, who is four months old. And if you have ever uh, seen a baby grow up around that age, you know that they're changing every single week. And so I, I tried to bundle him up in his coat, put a warm, thick blanket around him, put a thick hat on his head, and went outside. We lasted about 30 seconds uh, before uh, it was too cold for me, and I had to retreat into the warmth of the house. And so there I was, standing by myself, holding my baby, looking out at everyone talking and laughing outside when I suddenly had an idea. I decided to, to kneel by the front doors of our house and hold up my baby, Lion King style, and, and hold them up to the window so that everyone could come to the front doors and, and behold the glory of my baby boy. Right away, of course, everyone comes by, not just my in-laws, but, but uh, also my wife and my kids, and they're fawning over him like they're seeing him for the first time. My in-laws come over, and they're, they're, they're posed for a photo, and my daughter comes over and starts making faces at him, and, and all this while, I'm just kneeling there, holding him up, And my arms begin to tremble under the weight of his chubby baby body. And no one cares about what I'm doing. Everybody only has time for him. And my friends, that that is my aim this evening as we open up God's word. My, My aim is to fade into the background and to hold up baby Jesus for you to not only adore, but to worship. Because this baby is not only cute. He is the king who came to destroy the works of the devil. He is the eternal word of life who came to offer to us life everlasting. He is the invisible God who became visible so that he might manifest the most surprising aspect of God's character, and that is his love. His love. God's love is our theme This evening. And as we will see, God's love isn't just found in what He does, it is found in who He is. And it's in knowing Him as the God who is love that we will become loving people. And as we prepare to turn the calendar on what has been a very difficult year, to say the least, we prepare to look forward to the hope giving year of 2021, we look around at the state of the world and we see that the world is more divided, the world is angrier, and the world is more anxious than any other time in recent memory. 
And the antidote to that isn't just a vaccine. The antidote is the love of God that transforms us and replaces our anxieties, fears, and anger with love. And so I invite you to read along with me in 1 John chapter 4. I will be reading from verses 7 to 12. This is the word of the Lord. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The title of this sermon is Love Made Manifest. Love Made Manifest. And we're gonna break up our text today into two points. First, why love matters. And second, what love looks like. John begins by addressing his readers as beloved in verse seven. John is about to issue a command to his readers, a, a command to love one another, but he, he frames it in the context of reminding them that they are loved. The command to love is grounded in their status as those who are loved. And that was one of John's favorite titles for his fellow Christians. He calls them beloved because he doesn't want them to forget that they are deeply loved both by him and by God. It's in this context of love that God issues his commands. We know that God commands us because he is our creator. He commands us because he is our king. He commands us because he has the right and the authority to do so. But ultimately, he commands us because he loves us. He, he doesn't command us in the loud, domineering tones of a dictator, but in the gentle and strong voice of a loving father. Verse seven says that our loving father wants us to love one another, to love one another. This is the quintessential Christian command. And its importance is emphasized by the fact that in these six short verses, John repeats this phrase, love one another, three times. In verse seven, beloved, let us love one another. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now it seems like such a simple command, doesn't it? Three simple words, love one another. It's not rocket science, and yet there is no command in the Bible that is harder for us to obey. And that is because when the Bible says that we are to love one another, it's not just saying that you should love someone in your life. Everyone loves someone in their lives. In fact, in, John, in Luke chapter six, Jesus says that even the worst sinners love those who love them. What distinguishes Christian love from worldly love is the willingness and the ability to love anyone, even your enemies. It's the ability to love those who hate you, 
It's the ability to do good to those who wrong you. It's the ability to speak well of those who curse you. It's the ability to look at those drivers out there who have road rage and to respond not with anger, but with compassion. When the Apostle John writes about loving one another, he's writing specifically about love within the church. He's writing about Christians loving fellow Christians. And we know that because he's directing this letter to a group of unnamed churches that were under his responsibility to care for. And he's telling them, my fellow believers, my my beloved brothers and sisters, as you're reading this letter, look around. Look at each other's faces. Look look one another in the eye. I, I tell you, love one another. There's nothing more important than this, than to love one another. Christian love, you could say, is both broad and deep. It is broad because the call to love even our enemies means that there is no one who falls outside the scope of the Christian responsibility to love. But it is also deep. It is, it is deep because we are to have this unique commitment and devotion to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. John speaks about this in 1 John 3, verse 16, when he says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, why does, why does this matter? Why is this command to love one another so important? Well, it matters because the extent to which we obey this command reveals who we truly are. It reveals our true spiritual state. We see that in verse seven when he says, love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. John's saying that those who keep the command to love one another reveal that they don't just have a superficial relationship with God, but a a vital, life-giving, life-transforming relationship that, that results in them being born again to a new life of love. And then in contrast, verse eight says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Love is the litmus test that reveals our true spiritual condition. If we love, we belong to God. And if we don't love, then we show that we never truly knew him. This tells us how essential love is to God's character. Verse eight, you notice it doesn't just say that God is loving or that God does loving things. It says God is love. God is love. Love is an unchanging part of God's eternal nature. There there was never a time that love did not exist because it has existed from all eternity in the very nature of God. Now this has massive implications on the doctrine of the Trinity. We don't have time to to get into all of that tonight, but tonight I will say that without this biblical teaching that God is eternally three in one, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it would be impossible for us to say that God is love. And why do I say that? Well, it's because love can't exist by itself. Love requires a lover and a beloved. And so if God were not a trinity, if the one God were only one person, then we couldn't say that he is love because there would have been a time when he had no one to love. There would have been a time when there was no beloved. And that would mean that there was a time when love did not exist. 
The only way that we can say that God is love, that, that love is an unchanging part of God's eternal nature is if love has always been shared among the eternal persons of the Trinity. Now that's exactly what the Bible teaches and that's why we can have confidence that God is indeed love. God doesn't just love, God doesn't just do loving things, he is love because love has been shared among the persons of the Trinity from all of eternity. And if God is love, then that means that everything that he does is colored and formed and shaped by his loving character whether it be his provision or his promises or his providence. God is love. And, and John is telling us that if you know this God who is love, then you will inevitably become a loving person. Your life will begin to reflect the same love that God has shown to you, a broad love for all and a deep love for God's people. But we can't ignore the hard truth of this text, which is, that if your life is not characterized by this love, then John is saying that, that you don't know God. You, you may think that you do, but you don't. And so if you harbor anger or resentment towards someone that you're not in a right relationship with and you're not willing to forgive them because you, this, this anger and vengeance burns within your heart, then you don't know God because God is love. Or if you're, you're not vitally connected to a local church where you're getting to know other Christians and, and condescending to serve them and to bear their burdens with them, you're, you're not connected to a local church because you're really indifferent to the spiritual state of other Christians, then John is telling us that you don't know God. And you have no biblical grounds to believe that you are truly born again. Love is meant to characterize God's people because God is love. And his love will produce in us a love for other people. In his commentary on 1 John, John Stott writes, for the loveless Christian to profess to know God and to have been born of God is like claiming to be intimate with a foreigner whose language we cannot speak or to have been born of parents whom we do not in any way resemble. It is to fail to manifest the nature of him whom we claim as our father and our friend. My friends, this is, this is what is at stake when it comes to this command to love one another. Our obedience to this command to love reveals whether we know God or we don't because God is love. Now that doesn't mean that we are going to love people perfectly because the extent to which we love other people depends on our knowledge of God's love for us. And our knowledge of God's love for us only unfolds with time and experience and even suffering. But as we grow deeper in our knowledge of God's love, we will increasingly become the kinds of people who can love, who can, who can love broadly and who can love deeply. But what does this love look like? What does biblical love look like for the one who truly knows God? Well, this leads to our second point. John's answer is simple. He says, biblical love is defined by the person and work of Jesus Christ. We see that in verse nine when he writes, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God's love. 
isn't just an abstract idea that we need to use our imaginations to create. God's love has been manifested, which means that it has been made known, it has been revealed, it has even been seen. God's love has appeared so that real men and real women could see God's love with their own eyes and hear the words of God's love with their own ears by beholding it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that is what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about remembering and celebrating the glorious reality that love has broken into the world. Love was made manifest among us, both in what God did and in whom God sent. Christmas reminds us that God manifested his love by sending his only son. He gave up his son, his only son, his eternally beloved son, and sent him from the high and holy place of the glories of heaven into the sin and darkness of our broken world. And it wasn't just so that we might know him, but so that we might live through him. That's what verse nine says. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him, life itself is impossible apart from a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you have never known Christ, the Bible teaches that you've never truly lived. But Christ has come in love to give you and me life. Verse 10, John emphasizes this again when he writes, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You know, love is not defined by our horizontal relationships with other people. If, if that is your only experience with love, that is the love that you've received from other people, the Bible teaches that you have never truly experienced love. But nor is love defined by, by our vertical response to what God has done. No, Love is defined by what God has done to initiate his saving work in Jesus Christ. Christ is the propitiation for our sins. And it is in this act of propitiation that the love of God has been made manifest. What does that mean? What does that word mean? It's kind of an unfamiliar word to us in the common vernacular. What, What does it mean to propitiate? Well, to propitiate, it means to to replace wrath with favor. It is to assuage, to satisfy the displeasure of a deity and to replace it with mercy, grace, and love. That is where the love of God has been most fully manifested. It's not just in the cradle, but on the cross, because it is on the cross where Jesus was a propitiation for our sins. Jesus came into the world at Christmas, but he died for the sins of the world on the cross. He was the propitiation for our sins when he bore God's wrath against sinners like us upon himself so that we could be forgiven and we could be adopted into God's family and become his beloved children. This this gift of propitiation, 
This turning of God's wrath to favor, it is exactly that. It is a gift. It is a gift, a free gift that anyone can receive. It is not a gift that is reserved for the righteous or the worthy. The only condition to receive this gift is to know that you are a sinner and that Christ alone can be the propitiation for your sins. You can receive this gift of propitiation. You can receive this gift of forgiveness. You can receive this gift of adoption so that you could turn from being an object of God's wrath and become instead an object of God's mercy. If you have never received this gift, if you're here tonight on this Christmas Eve because a friend or a neighbor invited you and, and you don't know what you believe about God and, and what, a, what you believe about Christ and all this language about propitiation, but you, you hear God calling you to a, a true life-giving, born-again relationship with him so that you would not only live but love, that is the offer for you tonight. That you would receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, that you would look upon this child for the first time with the eyes of faith and live. And when you live, you will also love. John repeats this command in verse 11 when he writes, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Those who are beloved by God are called to love others in the same way that God has loved us. But we can't say that we are loving other people just because it makes sense in our minds, just because we've satisfied the standards that we've set up in our own minds. Nor can we say that we're loving other people because compared to those people out there, oh, we are way more loving than those people out there. You could be the most loving person in the world by the world's standards and yet never actually be a loving person. Because our reference point for what love actually looks like is not found in this world. It is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in the sending and the sacrifice of the Son. And so what do we learn about love from the sending and the sacrifice of the Son? Let's try to get practical here. Let me give you three things briefly about what love is meant to look like. First, love speaks up. Love speaks up. Love isn't silent when it sees people around you doing things that are wrong. Now, we tend to think that when the people around us are sinning, the most loving thing for us to do is to stay silent because we don't want to jeopardize the relationship. We, we don't want to hurt the other person. We want to quietly bear it and, and wait, and hopefully they will come to conviction by themselves. And of course, there are times to, to overlook sins, to, to overlook an offense, especially when that sin is done against you. But when we see people making self-destructive choices, when we see people living in a way that harms others or offends the holy law of God, love doesn't stay silent Love doesn't ignore it because that's not what God did in relation to our sin. God's loving action towards our sin was not to ignore sin, but to address it head on. And we, in turn, love those around us by speaking up at the right times. Second, love reaches out. Love reaches out. We, we don't ignore sin, but neither do we write people off because of their sin. 
And that, that is what we see in our culture today, don't we? We call it cancel culture. We call it cancel culture, where if you fail to perform or to say the right things by the world's standard, you are, you are written off. You are canceled out. Your friends on social media abandon you. You are labeled as one who is evil and unworthy of association. My friends, love doesn't do that. It reaches out with the same initiative and relentless pursuit that, that God showed to us when we sinned. Love moves towards those who are spiritually far away and calls them to return to the Lord. Lastly, love comes down. Love speaks up, love reaches out, and love comes down. Those, those who love, those who are truly loving, those who truly know the love of God and have been born again to, to life and to love, they don't stand aloof and say that certain tasks are beneath them. They are humble servants who are willing to do whatever it takes to, to lift up those around them, to, to serve them, to seek the good of those around them. Sinclair Ferguson, he captures this eloquently when he writes, whatever gifts you may have, love always means that you come down. It means that you use those gifts for the good of others, not to make yourself feel good. It means that you are willing to do things that are uncomfortable or inconvenient for you or that go unnoticed. Real love always comes down. We know that because love came down at Christmas. My friends, this is what love looks like. It's not just mere sentimentality. It is not just the giving of material gifts. Love looks like this as, as we reflect on how Christ addressed our sin, as we look at how Christ reached out even when we were still enemies of God and he brought us back to himself. Love looks like coming down from heaven to live among us and die as our substitute. And now we, as the followers of Christ, who are full of his love, have the privilege of doing the same for others. John ends with these remarkable words in verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. John is saying God has manifested himself to us in Christ and now God manifests himself through us as we love others. We, we, we do not see the invisible God, but we can see his loving character in the ways that we love one another. John Stott, again, writes so beautifully, for God, who is love and has loved, still loves, and today his love is seen in and through our love. And so this Christmas, my prayer for you, my exhortation to you, is that you would love one another, that you would love broadly, and that you would love deeply, and that you would grow in that kind of love by knowing the love of God for you in the person of Jesus Christ. May you see love made manifest in the cradle, and may you see love made manifest on the cross, and may you show the world what God's love looks like by your love for one another. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, 
what amazing truths we have dwelt on tonight as we have peered into the eternal nature of the Almighty God. And we have been delighted to discover that God is love and that in him we can become loving people. And we pray, O Father, that as we turn the calendar to 2021, that our lives would be more and more characterized by love for others, love for enemies, love for our brothers and sisters in Christ as we grow in our knowledge of your deep and wide and long and high love for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.